welcome to the Noble Mother Podcast. This is a podcast for people who want to heal, learn, and grow from powerful stories and experiences shared by sovereign mothers and women. Mothers and women who question when their sovereignty is in danger. Mothers and women who have faced deep grief and loss. Mothers and women who have walked the coals inside themselves to unprogram what they thought and who they could trust to really come home to themselves and their power. These mothers and women fiercely protect their spiritual energy and their family's health and well-being. On the Noble Mother podcast, we will share stories of birth, life, magic, and death. I hope you find healing in the wisdom shared. I'm your host, Victoria Nicholas, and these are the Noble Mothers and Noble Women and their stories. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Noble Mother podcast. This is the Tongue Tie series, and it's a really important series for me to put out today. I have the most incredible guest, Anuba. I'm emotional as I'm going to introduce you to Anuba because she is a, a gift to mothers and women. And she has also had her own struggles with tongue ties and her breastfeeding journey. So Anuba works with the Ontario Breastfeeding Clinic, but I'm going to just introduce her with her incredible bio and then we're going to get into her story. She has devoted the last two decades to meticulous medical training and the delivery of holistic care to her patients. Early in her career, she was keenly focused on the study of diabetes while working towards her diploma and obstetrics and gynecology. This was in the hospital, excuse that, that was just a technical glitch. Her diploma in obstetrics and gynecology from Dr. L.H. Karadane. Is that how I pronounce it, Anuba? Karadane, yep. Karadane, hospital in Mumbai, India. Her interest in lactation medicine was ignited. On a daily basis, she supported new breastfeeding parents in the, lib- in the labor and the delivery ward where I witnessed, where she witnessed the far-reaching impact of timely support and proper guidance on the breastfeeding parents and their entire family's well-being. Anuba came to Canada with a new passion for lactation, and after writing her medical licensing exam, became a lac- li- a licentate of the Medical Council of Canada. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? The licensing. It means that I am a physician. In Canada now, so I can work as a GP, general physician, because from a different country, you have to go through a various process of giving examination. There are like multiple steps that take years 
to complete and finally I, I got this designation to call myself a doctor in Canada. I see. Okay. Okay. Wow. You you are just profound. She uh, the ways she has just integrated into her community. I just can't wait to get into her story, but she has honestly enjoyed assisting her multi-ethnic community while working at her at her local OBGYN and family medicine clinics. Her interest in pediatrics to continue to grow as her work in pediatric clinic began, and she enthusiastically invested in pediatric research and academic presentations as a clinical educator. She became a mother, and she experienced significant breastfeeding challenges with her firstborn. And when she was expecting her second child, her husband encouraged her to seek professional lactation support, and she turned to her very talented IBCLCs, LCs for virtual prenatal classes. Once the baby arrived, she was able to meet regularly with her LC until she made it through the early difficulties. So yeah, that's the Ontario Breastfeeding Clinic now, which is just mothers, the way that we are able to access care. And she's a part of that team is incredible. And it makes such a difference. I'm so happy that we have been able to create such a platform that supports someone like us who needed at the most through the journey, which is so underrated. Lactation. Oh my God. Take us there. Anuba, welcome so much to be to being on the Noble Mother podcast. This is, you know, I've been really emotional through this whole series. Because there's a lot of trauma that we mothers hold when we navigate tongue ties and the system. So thank you for being here. Thank you for coming on. And I'm going to turn the floor over to you because you're just incredible. So where do you want to take us first? Thank you, Victoria. Thank you so much for that introduction. And thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my story because I can talk these literally days on what happened because this is practically the first time I'm opening up and I don't want to hold back anymore. Most, I think the reason that I was not able to find that courage to talk about it was mom shame. That how did I let this happen to my baby? But now that I have understood the whole aspect, there's so much that goes into it and I think now I'm at the place that I'm able to give myself the grace. Um, and and you mean shame because you were you were a doctor. You were a doctor you who know, didn't this was know. like the hardest part that being from a medical field, something that so heavy happened in front of me and I I didn't really realize what was happening. So without any further ado, I'll just share and because I really need to get this off. Yes, yes. We're so here to hold this. I'm from India and culturally speaking, it was given that all since all the ladies that I know, my mom, my grandmom, all the aunties that I've known have breastfed their babies so comfortably that I just assume that when I'm pregnant, I will just breastfeed my baby, even though we attended our uh, prenatal classes. They had lactation class. I did attend that. 
But when they talked about pumping, bottle feeding, I was like, I'd rather use that energy for something like car seat, bathing the baby, learning about the temperature, what I need, soothing the baby. That, But did not pay much attention at all to pumping or water feeding or formula feeding or anything of that sort. Because I was like, yeah, breastfeeding is something which is going to happen naturally because it happens. Okay. So pregnancy went well and I very distinctively remember I was 35 weeks pregnant. And just like any other mom in their last trimester, it was 3 a.m. I was struggling to find a comfortable position to sleep and I suddenly felt a gush of water. And my worst nightmare had come true. My firstborn was coming early. There was not much time. I started getting contractions immediately. We rushed to the hospital. He was born preemie because he had hypothermia, hypoglycemia. Senior, we did not get much skin to skin on the spot. He was taken away to the NICU for much needed medical attention. But because I delivered in a very breastfeeding friendly hospital, baby friendly, they used to get him to me every three hours for 20 minutes. That was the all bonding oxytocin skin to skin I got for the first few days. They told me to hand express cholesterol, but did not teach me how it was so painful it was so painful i remember the pain for one drop of cholesterol that i hand expressed for 10 minutes that was my first day but i would do anything for my baby so we were doing hand expression they would give it to him in the NICU and it was so so very very painful that happened he would come he would we would enjoy our 20 minutes of skin to skin. He would barely latch. He was so tiny. He would just be so quiet. And I was just, I don't know, there were like so many emotions all together. I was happy I'd have baby to hold. I was scared he was so tiny. I wanted to feed him, but I was okay because he, him, they asked me if it was okay to give him formula in the bottle because he's hypoglycemic. But they also reassured me this is such a temporary intervention. I was like, yes, go ahead. It's temporary, right? Because I can breastfeed, of course. So yes, of course, give him. Because we need to treat his hypoglycemia. Then after five days, we were discharged. I came home with no whatsoever instruction what to do about lactation at home. And we are like, what should we do now? Luckily, there was this very uh, helpful nurse at the hospital who helped me arrange the hand pump because as I told you, I was, I did not know what to do with the pumps. And I was like, I don't know what to do. She was like, I help you. She arranged it for me. And I started pumping because he was water fed. He was too tiny and he could have latched, but I did not know how to latch him. He was very interested in latching, but there was no latch happening. Right. So it's like any which way. The, the priority here is to feed him because he's so tiny. He's hardly 36 weeks. He needs to conserve his energy. So we gave him formula. We bottle fed him. We were taught how to pace bottle feed. So we did that. Yeah. Everything was going in the hope that Yes, this is temporary. You know, at the back of my mind, I have this. This is temporary. We, He's because going to be on the breast. 
Yeah. So because he's tiny, we need to make him grow so that he will come back to the best. And this is what is going back at the back of my head. Okay, we will deal this. I have no idea what was in the future. I and a new bug. Yeah. Can, can we go back to when you said it was painful to hand express the colostrum? Was it because the technique you were using? Or what do you... I had no technique. I was you just were just kind of pulling on it. Right? I was just pulling on my nipples. Nobody and now with the lactation, all you know, do you just think, oh my goodness. Nobody mm. taught me press and press. I was pulling. Oh my because goodness. Because that is what I thought will give me cholesterol. So Got you. The press, the heart. It was, there was a hot, hot towels, nothing. I was blindly going in, deep diving into compressing because I need, there was hardly any drop because he was just delivered prematurely without any preparation, nothing. And my body was not ready to produce anything at that time. Right. I was desperate to give him something. It was, I think I did a whole lot of damage to the tissues at that time. Uh, I realized nothing at that time. Because to be honest, what, whenever I have dealt as an OBGYN, in the labor and delivery ward was a proper uh, breastfeeding session for an other side where we guide through latching and a happy healthy baby is born here take them because when the new baby is born they have a different protocol when I as an obstetrician handle the baby we always serve to the mom who delivered in the labor and delivery ward happy, happy baby is coming Go to the breast. Okay, this is what you're latching, but never had to deal with so much of uh, pre-meat protocol. I that see. That is not okay. So that's not what I dealt with, even in professional life, that I had any knowledge to practically apply when it happened to me. I see. And so you're home now. Sorry to take you back there, but I just wondered if you could elaborate on that. So you're home now, and you know you're. First week, and we are still figuring out at the back of mind, okay, this is temporary. We'll, we will push through this phase. We will just make him stable. We will stabilize him and we'll keep encouraging him to come back to the breast. And there was something off. There was something which was not happening. He was interested in coming to the breast, but was not drinking at the breast. And he would reveal. He would you will get so angry that we would just get in water because no one wants their baby to suffer for a feed. So go, don't exert yourself. And I would pump with my hand pump. And I was hardly making like 30, 50 ml in the whole day because I was randomly pumping. So at that point, I remember that there is a lactation consultant service which are offered through public health, I reached out. I reached out to the lactation consultant and they taught me latching and positioning. And they suggested, now I do triple feeding. I put him to the breast. Triple feeding is like you put the baby to the breast, finish the feeding with the bottle, and then you pump. And at this, this time also, I'm using my hand pump, which is barely getting any emptying of the breast i'm still struggling with the supply i'm still struggling with the latch we have not progressed we have implemented more things but has not progressed then no progress by this time 
they have also suggested we change. No, this was afterwards. By this time, what has happened was he started doing projectile vomiting. I know you resonate to this. First one, projectile vomiting. I heard in your story. We were like, oh my God, this is pre-me. This is first one. This is a boy. What if it is a pyloric stenosis? Then we got him checked for the ultrasound was done. Very stressful. Thankfully, this was not pyloric stenosis. Then we had our next appointment with lactation consultant. She suggested we change the nipple size. We do more paste water feeding. We do more things. I was like, okay, anything. We are ready to work with anything that get us a good feeding schedule where he is getting fed. I am able to move towards stressed feeding him because right now we are very stressed. Very stressed. We got home a preemie baby who is not feeding at the breast. I'm hardly producing anything. His formula fit. I'm, first of all, having, I'm feeling more failure as a mother that I have just become. It's been only seven days of me becoming a mother. I'm already feeling like a huge, huge failure. My baby came pee me. I'm not able to breastfeed him. There was so much going on, so much guilt, so much failure that I was, how am I supposed to produce any oxytocin? There was, I did not realize at that time, but there was so much stress. There was so much scare. There was so much negative emotion towards the desperation of breastfeeding that nothing was going in the right direction. But yet there was hope. We never left the hope of breastfeeding. So we kept continuing it. But everything was going in the exact opposite direction of what we wanted to reach. So, but at this time, at one month, well, baby checkup, when I went to my family doctor, she prescribed me Dombredon. I said, fine, I'm happy to start Dombredon, which eventually led me gaining more than 10, 20 kilos, but whatever, anything for the baby. So I took it. That really helped me as a person with the supply. So I was like, okay, so we have supply. I, I kid you not. The first time when I pumped 180 ml, it felt like I was holding a trophy. Even Miss Universe would not be that happy that I was for that 180 ml that I pumped. Yeah. It was, I felt victorious. I felt like I have achieved something that I need to flaunt. That Absolutely. I could, I can do it. I can do it. I can provide breast to my baby. I can do it. And I was like, just latch it. Just, just latch. I just have to figure out just how to latch it. And now I have the best. I was so excited because by now I have the electric pump. Everything is going. I just don't want to do the whole mess of pumping and washing. And it was really a lot of work. And I was like, if any, anyhow, we can get him to the breast and feed him. By this time, we have also introduced Nipple Shield and SNS. We have tried everything. So something interesting happened during that time. Do you want to say this this supplementary nursing system? Do you want to explain? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yes, yes. Supplementary nursing system is something by which we use a tube. The one end of the tube is, is in the bottle that has either formula or the express breast milk. And the other end goes into the mouth of the baby through the corner who is at the breast. 
So when the baby is sucking at the breast, they simultaneously stimulate the nipple and also get a positive feedback from getting the milk through that pipe. So the concept is to drink at the breast, even if you don't have the supply through you, be the formula of the express breast milk. But uh, lactation did not work for us. No. And I think if you have an orally restricted baby, it's very... It's not something. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, we we had no luck with that either. Yeah. That was something... The mechanics of it are not there. The mechanics Mm. of the mouth cannot do it. So now I know that the suction has to be so strong enough that part one of latching has to be successful at the breast for this second part introduced. And add to that success. But if you are already not successful at latching and getting that vacuum, the second part does not exist. That's right. It does not get any chance. Talk about the crazy making, right? That they subscribe all these triple feed and the SNSs to families with orally restricted babies. It's very bizarre. I mean, imagine the desperation of the parent who is ready to try to do anything, but Loading them with so much that yes, exhaust their they that's going to mentally, physically, emotionally exhaust them. Trying to and imagine the baby was going through so much. I mean, I was so self-engrossed, but when I look back, the guilt that I hold is that there's just the second part of the story that what my baby went through the whole thing because through this time. When I was trying to breastfeed him, he was one of those babies who would go red, screaming and crying, zero to hundred in first fifteen seconds. If he did not get a letdown, I did not get a letdown immediately. If we were not transferring, and with Dom Peridon, we were able to go somewhere because now I had the supply. So as in the lactation aid did not work, but with the nipple shield. We were able to get him to the breast if he was happy. If he was happy and we were offering him the breast, he would come and he would have something. And that would make me really, really feel good. One person that at least I'm able to offer something. There is still hope because that was the only thing I was talking about with anyone. Imagine I was going through parlor and I was like, I can't breast with my baby. She's like, I breastfed at four months. You can do it. I was like, Thank you, I can do it. And that was all I was talking about. I was gathering information from anybody, everybody's to what and how from taking professional help, anything from my capacity because I know the importance of breast milk and I wanted to give that to my baby. And pumping was a very good option, but it was exhausting, washing and cleaning. And I would rather spend that time with my baby. That was going on in my mind. And obviously, like I told you initially, it... To me, I had still, I was still in denial that this this could be this hard. I was still in my mind that it would come easy. It would become easy. It is just a phase. I'm still in that mindset. It's still just a phase. This be this is like one month after delivery. So from one month to two months, we kept continuing going to the lactation consultant and doing things. So somehow we were able to get him feed at the breast, save. 40 to 50 percent through nipple shield when he was happy and rest 50 percent were complete formula toppers because that was that is how much we were able to gauge 
And it's second month. Well, was baby. he still vomiting too? Was he vomiting? When, so when we changed the bottle size, yeah. with the lactation consultants help, and we did more paste bottle feeding, we were able to get over the vomiting part. Got it. Okay. So we settled down with the feeds and we were still triple feeding and I did not like it. And I, oh, That's it exhausting. So exhausting. So draining physically, emotionally, continuously pumping around the clock, continuously cleaning because at that time I did not know that I could leave the breast pump with milk, breast milk in the fridge or anything of that sort. Continuously cleaning them, so many bottles, so many pieces, feeding, bottle pumping was very draining. And then you just feel like that an hour goes by and you've maybe eaten and you start it all over again. And you're doing that eight to 10 times a day, sometimes 12. It's crazy making. I don't know how people do that when they have other children. I always said to my husband, I said, I'm glad he was our first because I don't know what would have happened. If it was our second. I 100% agree with you. I don't know how would have it done it if it was my second. Because with first, I think I had that uh, mental energy, capacity yeah. and physical stamina to execute this. Yes. I don't think so. I know. I when you so. have some, I know. There was something else. That, oh, can you talk to us about what bottle you used and the different nipple sizes? We ended up switching to the Dr. Dr. Bonners, is that what? Dr. Brown, yeah. Dr. Brown's with the preemie nipple. He still would vomit with it, but I'm just wondering what you used for your son. And yeah, so I think we started with event and fillet. Yeah, Yeah. but I think the more it was not the bottle that really bothered him, it was the nipple size because we just went with what nipple size it came. Like I told you, I had no information at all how to. What to start with? So I just went with what it came with. It came with, I think, one or something. And because he was a teeny baby, one was big for him. So he would just do projectile vomiting, but with so much going in so fast, aerophagia, everything happening at the same time, which obviously I did not have any idea about at that time. So when we changed him to creamy nipple and Dr. Brown with the green tube that it comes with yeah i don't know what is the water but the, i think it was a nipple nipple size that mattered and with the paste bottle being more introduced with every feed that we were able to eliminate that vomiting at least the vomiting aspect of the feeding and that was very relieving because it's hard when you have such a small tiny creature and the weight is something so concerning and you're not really prepared for it and you're struggling with your own self to take care of them with feeding is one big aspect but it is only one aspect there is so many more things which goes around taking care of them and yourself that, that everything just overlaps oh. on so many levels what a good point yeah And it was first. It was our first. So everything was so new. And it was, we entered into a horizon which was, we did not prepare for. We did not even have Pirmi baby clothes. We, everything we got afterwards. (laughs) So he was drowning in the big clothes when he came home because we didn't even have Pirmi baby clothes. Him. No preemie diapers. Everything we got on the spot as we got him home. 
And so fast forward to when he was uh, around two months. And uh, we were having 50% at the breast with the nipple shield. Now, I went to the baby checkup and the concept was that he can still go back to the breast 100%. We need to eliminate nipple shield. It's a hassle. Why? Because every time I get him to the breast and if there is a slight delay where he goes from happy hungry to hangry hangry, I cannot latch him. And that makes him, that eventually over the period of two months made him angry with me. That he associated distress. He started associating distress because my mom was here to help me. And if my mom or my husband bottle fed him, they would just bottle feed him and he was happy going to them. But whenever he saw me, he associated this person is going to do something which I do not like. And he would not look at me. And I still remember. I was trying to breastfeed him with nipple shield. And that two-month-old baby cried for the first time with tears. And I was like, this should not be the reason that my baby cries that I'm trying to feed him. This is not the reason that my baby is crying for the first time with tears. This should not be the reason for him to feel so much pain. And so when I had my family doctor's appointment for well baby check, for two months, I just told her, I, I can't do this. I, I need help. I need fuel help. I need So she did what she knew the best. She referred us to a physician in our community who is, was well known for dealing with lactation concerns for family. And we heard that that was a clinic to go to. So me and my husband, we were like, that's it. This is our last stop. Now the latching issue will be resolved. Point to be mentioned. Tongue tie has not been mentioned once at this till this point. Nobody never ever ever has said anything anywhere. So we are not even considering because we do not know about it. Okay? And we are like, fine, we'll go to this clinic. Fifty percent will become hundred percent. And we are like very excited. We are like, okay, we are counting days for 10th of September 2018. That is the day. That we go to this clinic and we get a latching final adjustment and he'll come to the breast. We'll get rid of the nipple shield. We'll get rid of the pumping. I am building up my supply. I can pump. I can see it. So he'll come to the breast. We went to the clinic. They took off his dress. They checked his weight. He was gaining well. He had triple feeding, so weight was not a concern at this time. I they took us to the room where he was supposed to be examined. I enter the room. I kid you not, I remember, I remember it as if it is in front of my eyes. There were instruments. There was gauze on the examination table. And I was like, wait, I have worked in a pediatric clinic. I know what that means. What is it doing? For a moment, I was like, 
maybe that is the clinic protocol. Okay. And this, this person comes who is supposed to examine Abhyan, the name of the baby. And first thing they ask us is, is your baby arching? Is he not sitting in the car seat? I was like, yes, he cries a lot. And they tell us that you are making your baby suffer. He has good. I was like, I thought this is normal baby behavior. Yeah, I have heard babies cry. No, your baby has good. He has tongue tied. You are making your baby suffer. He has good because of you. You did not do it. And the volume of that, the tone and the volume of the way it was delivered to us really hit me and my husband so hard. To have we been making our baby suffer? This is what had you been doing? Like, yes, your baby had acidity the whole time. Because of the tongue, you need to get it chipped right away. Your baby will not have gold. I will give you an acid for the baby, but then your baby will latch. And then they will sit in the car seat. They will not arch. And me and us are like, we did not know we were making our baby suffer so much. This is, this is what was happening. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll take care of say, don't you worry about it. Look, we can do it. The physician is here right away. This will happen on the spot. Does not hurt. I say, yes, I have. I have worked in pediatric clinic as clinical assistant. I have assisted tongue ties, so I know what that procedure is. But I did not know that that was concern. They have not yet checked the baby. They have not yet seen a van. Okay. They haven't even gone, they haven't even gone under his tongue. No, no, nothing, nothing. nothing. We did not even know what was happening. And we were just guilt trip as parents. We said, okay, if the outcome is going to be positive, then yes, we have been struggling for two months. If this is it, then yes, we'll go with it. Before we knew the physician came, Avyan was pinned down to the examination table. And next thing we know, there is a scalpel. And next thing I hear was he's bleeding too much. The posterior band is too thick. And we will have to repeat the procedure, uh, put the pressure, and he left. And uh, I mean, I didn't realize it happened so fast. I didn't. We were not prepared. We were not prepared as parents. We were not prepared. And we were given a screaming baby with mouth full of blood. There was blood. There was blood. And there was blood. And there was so much blood. And he was put on my dress with an SNS, which he would not even latch at home with. With so much blood. There was blood going back the tube of the SNS in the express breast milk that I had. And I was numb. I didn't know what to do. I was so numb. And she said, just hold. Just hold. He will latch. He was crying and I was numb. I could not move and he was crying and they left. And we were just sitting there. We just, I just put the cap back on and made him drink. And we came home and it was, we did not know what happened. And we were told while we were leaving that he would need a repeat revision and a lip tie. And I said, no, 
we did not know what happened. No. We just came back home and I remember I being angry on myself. My husband was questioning me, what happened? Explain to me, you're from medical field, what happened? I said, I don't know. And luckily, the only good part in the whole story was Avan healed fast. So he had, he was a strong boy. So he healed. He never latched. He never latched again. Once. I tried latching him and he would cry from fear. And it was a combined decision of me and my husband that we cannot do this to our baby. So we will stop attempting to latch. I took the highest dose of Dompredon and pumped six times in a day, once overnight for 14 months. And gave the express breast milk through bottle. But he never latched. So that was, this was the story of how this had happened. It took us a lot of time to really, I don't, I would not say a lot of time because it's still raw talking about it. I can practically teleport to the time and place talking about it because healing is such a, taking its time and I'm giving grief its own time. I lost my breastfeeding journey with my first one and the grief was real. My husband acknowledged it and supported me through it. It was hard to accept that this is what it is. But then I had a happy, healthy baby in hand and now was the time to bond after suffering. So we just enjoyed our time with him in every other way that possible and I accepted that I'll pump and feed him. I finally accepted because there was no other way. I was not going to make him suffer for something like that, which has happened. Or did you to... continue on the Dom Paradigm as well? I continued for 14 months. Wow. On the higher dose, I gained crazy amount of weight. Yes. But in the end, it was worth it. Yeah. Because then I was giving him the breast milk and that was giving me that warm feeling that I was craving for. Yeah, I know this is very not something that I should be relating myself to my motherhood, but that is something that I wanted. And it was my. Let's go back to culturally. Anuba, you watched your aunties and your mother put their babies to their breast, make their milk, go out to their errands attend their other children and just breastfeed their babies and when you see that you know that to be possible so when that is not happening it is a such a bizarre place to find yourself in it is really difficult when i was an OBGYN resident i had never supported i never had to support any mother through water feeding in the hospital labor and delivery. 
because everyone was breastfeeding. It was such a norm. It was such a norm for me. Wow. Yeah. I, oh, I'm emotional for you. I'm, I, I, are you able to go to that place where he didn't, when, when was the last time you said, okay, okay, baby, I'm not going to latch you again? Yes. When he would not look at my face. Breast refusal was real. We do not give babies enough credit for being smart. They are smart. They remember trauma. They remember the trauma inflicted on them. That tongue tie was not traumatic for only me. It was traumatic for him as well. And he had already realized as a two and a half month old that what was being done to him, why it was done to him. And he said no. And he said no to me. And me and my husband was like, our baby cannot be this upset with his mother. We need to change our strategy. Because I could not take him not being happy at me. He was angry. He was crying at me. And I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it as a mother. He would go to my mom. He would go to my husband. But he would cry for at me. Yeah. And... That was excessive. Can, can we give that backstory of the reason he is crying is because the mechanics of his body and his tongue cannot operate at the breast the way, you know, we need it to. That's mm-hmm. why that's happening. You know, but in that moment, you don't have somebody sitting beside you sort of walking you through that, right? You're just no. you're kind of taking the lingo around you, but it really is, it's the mechanics that are you know, between no body work and the tension in the body and, you know, but we don't know that, you know, we don't know that we're just thinking we're going to pop our babies on. I was not not aware that they could be more laced with. Right. I was doing everything in my awareness that I thought that was supposed to be done, but I was not aware that there were other things that existed and to be honest this awareness comes from a support system where you guided I did not have I did not I did not have it at that time and there was so many things which went wrong which I'll tell you how I realized it when I realized it and what happened yes yes but this was the end of this story which was a very heavy grieving which ended at a very heavy grieving point from my side. But the only fact that I was happy about was at the end, I was about able to provide him with the breast milk, even through pump, and he was thriving. But I always had that guilt, that sadness. How the whole thing happened to us, and what it did. And was this, so this clinic is run by the government, correct? Mm-hmm. Clinics like these, these, yeah. they're sort of a snip and clip. Yeah. They're run by government and it's not pediatric dentist, correct? No, it's not pediatric dentist. No, no. To, to my knowledge, no. No. And it's free, correct? It's covered yeah. by OHIP? Yeah, it's, it's OHIP covered. And do you sign a contract or do they, 
run through any sort of aftercare exercises or no you know, we were no. not seen we were not told i told like i mentioned we were left with a crying baby mouth full of blights feeling through sns and come back for more clipping right so they wanted to clip him again they wanted to clip yeah. his lip and they said his and posterior he- was there were so many fibrous tissues that they'd have to keep going back to bring him back again. Yes, that was the instruction. Oh my goodness. Just so inexperienced. Even, even oh my was, gosh. I do not care if it was true or not. Even if it was, the way it was executed was oh. not, is no. not something that I would want any parent no. go through at any stage of their journey. Because you don't bully somebody into doing what you believe is right. You Absolutely. Because I tell, I will share what happened with my second born. Yes. That was a correct version of how it should have been done and what should have been done and things like that. So there's so much to share. Yeah, I, I mean, want to just honor. I want to honor your first story, though. And I just... I'm sorry. I'm the podcast host, so I'm supposed to keep my composure, but I just want to say how incredible you are. And thank you for taking your son's story and becoming someone in this field to love on and educate mothers and babies. What this process, not once did I ever think I do not have professional background of lactation at this point when I'm dealing with my first one. Right. I have OBGYN background. That's right. As I told you, we dealt with a very healthy, happy baby who were born in the labor and delivery ward and very straightforward breastfeeding, go large, do do the whole and uh, how to relieve engorgement and oh you don't want to breastfeed okay let's let's do the cabbage cold and those things basic things very basic good right. things not the complicated version to the stage with so many elements at so many different stages are involved I, it was brand new for me so i tried my level best to bury it in the deepest corner only because it was too much to handle and I will I try to made the most of what we had at that time with a happy baby and I went back to my work at 14 months of uh, when Avyan was 14 months that right. is when I realized that it's not feasible as a working parent to pump six to seven times in a day and he is on solid. So I weaned myself off dome peridon and I stopped pumping because I was looking for that day to stop pumping. Jolly, really. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it was I know. Yeah, I I was really happy that it yeah. made more than one year and I was like, okay. I have heard that that goes with me. Uh, I was like, no, enough. I know that's enough. so cute. I started hearing like, mummy, mummy, mummy. I, was, like, I know. Uh, you am in the night, and what are you calling me? What's happening? I know. Are you a conversation? 
I don't know how women like exclusively pump and like love it. Like I just have, especially having a second baby really, you can just, I put them on and eat feet, like cleaning pumping parts. Oh my God. Oh. And then, and the SNS systems. And you know what? I think it comes down to our perception because when you saw your aunties and your mom just breastfeed, and for me, it was like coming from a very natural place of birth and like, you know, people just show La Leche League meetings and things. They, they're not bringing a bag full of pump parts and replacing their valves. And anyways, well, at tubes, it's wild. I know. I mean, I trust me when I say this. I had not seen because most part of my life before my first born was in India. I had not seen many people water feed. When he was born, I didn't even know how to hold a bottle. Yeah. Personally, I personally did not see many in spite of being in the medical field. Everyone around me was breastfeeding. It was, I mean, we were mainly had, my medical school was from a rural setup. So everyone would be breastfeeding because that is something which happens. And even when in the obstetrics and gynecology residency, when the babies were born, they were like, okay, even if they had certain you know, attention that needed to be given after birth, they would go back. They would latch. Right. Everything was happening. So it never, ever, ever occurred to me that there was an alternative to breastfeeding. So do you know the statistics in India still? Are women and families being inflicted with these, these midline? I don't want to call it a defect, but, you know, the tongue tie. Is that affecting families in India prominently now? So basically, it's all about the awareness. So now I do know that as the lactation consultation, so at that time, there was no lactation when I was, I'm talking about a decade, one decade ago when I was there, the concept of lactation consultation did not exist as much as prevalent as it is right now. The more the lactation consultation is coming up, they are aware that what all mechanism, the latch mechanism, the musculoskeletal tension, the oral anatomy, there's so many different factors that contribute together into a latch not happening successfully. Right. So they look into it and then they refer to a proper person who has a background into assessment for the oral anatomy. So this is now happening as there is awareness, as there are more professionals are equipped with the knowledge to look more into it because they know where to look at. Right. And so, right, they know what to look at. But also I wanted to say, do you think that there were aunties and mothers in your community back in India that had babies with tongue ties, but if they were potentially breastfeeding toddlers or were experienced breastfeeding mothers, they were able to kind of manipulate the movement to kind of, to kind of overcompensate and able. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I would say that because I know my cousins and friends who as adults have, have speech issues because of anterior tongue tie, but they were completely breastfed. Interesting. So their mothers were, were breastfeeding toddlers or were just 
Mm-hmm. They were the third baby or the fourth baby yes. or they were, yeah. Okay. Maybe their supply compensated it. Maybe there were so many things because if they pay, if they're gifted with a good supply because it's their multi-baby, then even if the latch is painful or short or not efficient, they do have a natural flow that would compensate and early introduction of food at least first few months has gone by any which way is the first few weeks that hormonal till the autoregulation is there. So, yeah. Interesting. Endo- okay. Till the endocrine takes over. So, they push it. I see. Okay. Wow. So, where do you where do you feel your heart needs to go now in this second phase of this? Do you, do you want to go into your your second board? Ha- yes. So, I really want to bring this whole story to a point where I want to contribute to the podcast that how this traumatic incidents gave birth to something beautiful. Something which now is helping families who deal with not only breastfeeding difficulties, but much more. And we are all evidence-based. And this is what everyone who is associated with this platform and what, how I have used my own experience to deep dive into this field. This was whole, when this happened to me, I had zero knowledge on latch mechanism, the importance of other aspects. And to be honest, when this thing happened, I gave up on everything because I really wanted to bury this. I did not want to deal with this at all. But uh, faith has something else planned for me. One year after this incident, when I joined back work in my pediatric clinic, we happened to deal with a lot of tongue releases. I I was not mentally prepared to deal with it. But then I had to because of my profession. And after a lot of personal struggle and coming overcoming my own fear, I picked this task upon me to learn. So you were working in a clinic yes. where they were also clipping tongue ties yes. for families. Interesting. Yes. So you were helping aid and assist in them. So I was a part of pediatric clinic that run a lactation part of the clinic. Got and it. the lactation part of the clinic the lactation consultant, they were doing this uh, clipping part. So I was helping the pediatrician, but the pediatrician was seeing this lactation, had a lactation clinic where this lactation consultant were doing it. And because I was uh, a medical subscribe, so I used to go through the chart, every charting which was done, and I used to help him with his aspect, the pediatric aspect of the consultation of the so I used to overhear what actually happened to the mother and the baby and why was it required. So initially, I was not convinced because because of my own experience. So I was like, why should we do it? But it was happening so often and we were seeing results that I really wanted to understand what was happening. So this was my first research project in Canada, which I did to understand that what was the breastfeeding outcome of the tongue tie release. So... I very hesitantly took this upon myself of learning more about what and how 
not that I was against phrenotomy. It was just that the episode and the trauma held me back. But now I was very much keen to know what this is. Yeah. And how is this happening? What, why is it needed? I had so many questions which I never got answer for in myself that I was seeking. But what is this thing? Why is this happening? And how is this helping? Is it helping? What's happening? So that is when I actually took the advantage of my medical field, being in the medical field. And we did our first research. And it was because we had so many clients out of which quite some amount got the phrenotomy done. So I took... They got like, the phrenectomy done in your clinic. Yeah. And, and they were having good results. Their babies were yeah. breastfeeding after this phrenectomy. Yes. 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 And were they using a scalpel? You're using a scalpel or scissors? Oh, no. This My clinic was using scissors, but this patient consultant was using scalpel. Okay. They were using scalpel. And so we did this article. We did this uh, retrospective study of the charts from where we deducted that the main concerns that the mother had were uh, latching difficulty, sore nipples, and breast pain. So most of them had this, I think, let me just recall what was it. I think 31% had latching difficulty, 22% had sore nipples, and 17% had breastfeeding. Pain with breastfeeding, basically. And the results that we had was after they had the phrenectomy done, whooping 93% of the mothers had subjectively reported an improvement in their latch. So the pain, the sore nipple, the difficulty had improved. So something was happening. And this was done after the latch adjustment had been done. So even after that, when this was done, so these mothers who did not benefit from the latch adjustment had advantage of, they benefited basically from this. And I also, because I had the data, so I took it one step further. And I also studied the weight gain. If there was any weight difference gain. in the milk transfer before the procedure versus after. It was nominal. It was like 32 grams before and 35 grams per day after. But there was an increase in mean of most most of the babies that they were able to transfer bido at the breast. And these are all the exclusively breastfed babies. And we also got to know that the, if they had like nipple shield because of nipple trauma, that use also decreased. So everything turned out to be positive for people, for mothers who really did not benefit from latch adjustment. And still continued with their difficulty. It was a good idea for them to have this assessment and the procedure being done. Not like again, I'm telling you, I'm not against the procedure. It was just my personal trauma of how it happened to us. That's why it led me to do this whole thing. Out of which I'm again landed up supporting the whole thing. Because if the, at the end. Our aim is to make the diet 
successful. Make their breastfeeding journey successful. And if we have tried everything that we have offer, this is not the first step. That was my another. So when you, the another link which I share with you, the class, the, the educational lecture that I've done was because somehow when I was doing this research, we also came across the fact that this thing is not regulated. There is no proper classification of what should be called as tongue-tied. A frenulum is, is, is being called as tongue-tied and babies are being snipped right, left and center. Unregulated. And that is when I did that lecture where we were educating our staff that when, when is the phrenotomy needed? First, you have tried the latching, latching technique and the latching positioning. Once you have given the trial, and if it is not very evident, it is something that can be managed, a frenulum is called as tongue-tie when it's restrictive. Is it being restrictive in the practical aspect of it? So that is what the second part is. Being very aware, being, this is something that varies from at that time. I'm talking about 2019. At that time, now things have been uh, more advanced in the way that everyone is being referred to a pediatric dentist. Right. For the assessment. But at that time, it was not that regulated and it was being performed with minimal experience by some, for at least that, that we were. I'm not talking about globally. I'm just talking very locally. And very, you know, honestly, even dentists were doing them very willy nilly as well, right? Like even dentists that work in the mouth still did not have a true understanding of the fibers and how many to sort of release and what that looked like. They were just clipping them, this little that was presented and not doing a whole host of education, you know, behind what was being done to the mouth. Exactly. I really feel that we should not undermine the understanding of parents or so that of the baby that what they go through. And at the same time, having an awareness Coming this from the point of consent, where you understand it, yes. informed consent and informed consent of the parent who has already gone through so much. If someone has come to this point, imagine how much you cannot imagine what they have gone through to be here. Everyone's shoe is different. Absolutely. I know when you tell me that story of your son and just taking him into this clinic. And they shame you into a phrenectomy and not even a full one. And you're left with not even sort of the understanding of what feeding will look like or what that does to the mouth. It's just, it's horrendous. You know, it's horrendous, especially, you know, we've chosen, we cho choose to use a pediatric dentist called Little Bird in Milton, Dr. Seagal. And what a difference, you know, when you enter her clinic. They, the first thing you do is you sit down and you watch almost 25 minutes of videos and a backstory on the tongue and the mechanics of the tongue and what happens. And then when the protocol and what they do during the protocol, the phrenectomy, and then what aftercare and stretching looks like. All that is done up, up front. Then they show you what goes on in the mouth 
And then they take baby for phrenectomy if you give consent for that. This is like the best case scenario in the ideal world situation, which right. I wish upon every I know. And you know system. what? And, and it, but it is, it's, it was $1,100, you know, like my husband, only 40% covered it. So we, you know, paid 600 out of pocket. And for us, it was very important because of what had happened with Noble from the first time, seeing kind of very inexperienced practitioners care for him. So it was just kind of a no brainer. But I understand, I know single mothers whose children likely could benefit from it. And that's just unattainable to pay $1,100 to have that procedure done 400 for a lip and 500 for a tongue. It feels so crazy sometimes to even say it like that, you know? It's, I mean, that's why have getting it done is important. Correctly getting done is also very, very important. And yes, there is a price tag to it. This is how I think that everything has come to. I really hope that in future we have a system where everyone is being supported for there's clipping needs through OHIP. Okay. Get quality service. At least covered quality service. Important is quality service. Mm. If they, and there is a protocol, you know, that every parent gets the same. Yes. Yes. Because it takes a village. And this, the part of this village is everyone who is supporting you through this part, a very essential, important part of rotation, which I got for my second one because we were so, so, so prepared. Yes. And now that I had taken a deep dive into phrenotomy and tongue tie, I actually took this upon myself to take it further. I actually started studying to become a lactation consultant at this point of time back in 2020 I decided 2021 I started it and from what I had experienced and through the experience of that I had gained through my pediatric clinic it was evident that this field needs support and I wanted to give that support to the families who needed it because I did not get it. Yes. And I wanted to be the person to give the right information, evidence-based information, help them understand, help that I wanted to be that person who would give them the information that they need and give them the right to make the decision for themselves. With all the information in their lap and you are free to choose whatever you want. You have the information. I'm here to help you. I'm here to support you. I will give you everything you want and it's your baby, your journey. You will decide it. I will help you in every way, single way possible. And that is what I wanted to give. I still want to give and I'm continuing to do that. And now that I'm on my way, I'm halfway through, I'm certified breastfeeding specialist. And when I see my baby in the family clinic, family physicians clinic where I practice, I support them to the best of my ability. And through research, we also did research on 
because then COVID came and everything became virtual. So I did my next research that the lactation consultant is lactation consultation is such a such an art that has to be done in person. How is it going to be effective through virtual? So we did our study and to our surprise, we got to know that 97% were very satisfied because our lactation consultants are so, so, so dedicated and they're so smart in delivering their message, even through virtual, that they were able to help the families overcome their breastfeeding challenges. And it's such a need of an hour that people who are in the rural areas, they are not able to travel, especially during COVID when the the services were limited yeah. and people were not meeting in person, even for a very important appointments, they were restricted. Imagine lactation consultant being a second tier in this and virtual clinics really helped parents. The breastfeeding difficulties never decreased because it was COVID. It rather increased because baby boom was there. And there were more and people and mothers were staying in and taking advantage yes. of accessing this virtual support, you know, and really soaking it in. Getting your child your child and your family out the door to meet sometimes make an appointment, it's a lot. It's it a lot was. of stress sometimes on you. And imagine even when the COVID subsided, the comfort of having this consultation with a newborn at your home with your own schedule how good is that would be obviously yeah. there are things which are supposed to be done in person to benefit better but there are many many who just have basic problem right easily be dealt with proper guidance which right. all the ibclcs i'm talking about our platform of ontario breastfeeding clinic everyone is a international breast board certified lactation consultant and they are very experienced in their field and they're very knowledgeable and very helpful genuinely they want families to benefit they help through their experience and we were able to guide through we launched this back one year ago our platform i support them through research like i told you i am doing my part as a research director in this platform where I'm trying to support and spread the knowledge of how not only how important this breastfeeding journey is to protect it, how important it is to protect for a diet, but also what else can we do to make it as convenient as possible, to make it as reachable as possible Anyone who needs this service, yes. they should not be struggling so much. So you are already dealing with so much on, on so many different fronts. This should not be another one. You're such an oh. angel. What a gift. And, you know, to, and to have that be accessible, like you said, for everybody, no matter your income, your status, your education, you know, like you think of your, your platform, like you, you know, you were in the medical profession, I'm sure. You had some uh, the resources behind you to say purchase the pump that you wanted, or even you know have some time to commit to that triple feed. Same with me, like sitting in a very privileged space of you know 
getting those pumps and having my husband off and, you know, committing to that time. There are so many mothers and family dyads where that's not always the case, but like that feeding relationship should be protected no matter what your status, quote unquote, is in society. Exactly. That is what we are working towards getting this OHIP covered virtual service to the every corner of Ontario. That is what our platform wants. Our dear breastfeeding clinic that my beautiful, lovely lactation consultant, Amanda, is one of the directors who supported me thoroughly when I was pregnant with my second born. The story with my second born is that we were mentally prepared that I will have to pump because my first one never lashed. And I took three natal consultation classes. We were already mentally prepared that this was not going to happen, but we will do what we can. She supported me throughout. She mentally prepared me for, she had only one goal. You will latch. I will guide you through it. You will latch. And latch in the first hour. I did not know the concept of golden hour. She guided me. First hour is hour. Yes. yes. Right. And as soon as he was born, he was given breastfeeding. He was born at McMaster. I had high-risk pregnancy. And they gave him to me. First thing I saw when he opened his mouth to latch, there was a tie. You owe an anterior tie? No, not an anterior. He opened his mouth. He had a very stretchable posterior tie. His tongue uh-huh. would to the roof, but it was very evident that the frenulum was going up to down and it was not very posterior. I could see the frenulum, but it was a very stretchy frenulum. And I was like, oh my God, history is going to repeat itself. And I'm not ready for it. But he lashed. He fed for one hour in the first round itself. And Did you uh, do a breast crawl with him? Yes. Yeah. I had the support of all the uh, nurses. And uh, because Amanda had already told me that this natural uh, event helps with the supply, promotes the baby to get the sense of uh, the latching through the smell of the amniotic fluid being there from the cholesterol. And this was this was whole new horizon of information for me. And I was so fascinated. And I was like, I am learning to become a lactation consultant. But I'm learning this personally and professionally. And I'm like, mind blown. I did not know about this aspect of breastfeeding at all. And I'm so intrigued by the whole thing that I practiced everything on me. I was my own patient, first patient. I did everything on myself. He breast crawled, he lashed. The lactation consultant came the second day and I told her, I think there's a tie. She's like, okay. I knew it through my studies that I was doing guiding patients, but I did not do it to myself because I did not catch it at the time. But she did the uh, nose to little push. Oh, the nose to Yeah, the latch yeah. adjustment. And that lipstick nipple went away. And that initial latching pen pain went away. And then I was like, okay, this is becoming to be something doable. I had full support of Amanda throughout. She gave me all the positions. And we did it. We took uh, my second born, Arya, for his jaundice checkup on day three. And the pediatrician, she was very nice. So this is the difference between nice right in the wrongs. I told her that I think there is a tie. She checked. She's like, yes, there is a tie. I 
I do the clipping. Do you want me to clip it? My brain was screaming, do it, do it. This is the right thing to do, do it. But I did not have the courage in me to say yes. I looked at my husband, he looked at me and we both were like, we are too scared. What if the same thing happens? What if he stops latching at all? So we took that hard decision of saying, we will wait. And she said, it's okay. Try the latching. If it does not work, you always have the option. He's only three days old. This is the difference between right and wrong. Yeah, yeah. Right. She gave us the option. That's right. Yeah. Which is beautiful because you hear so many stories of those pediatricians coming in the room and saying, baby's not going to latch. We're just going to do this quickly. I've heard that story repeated quite often lately. That was us. Yeah, that was us in the first time. And yes, we, I'm not very proud of the decision that we made, but we pushed through. And yes, it was painful at times. Yes, I had to start on Dom Peridon again and gain tons of kilos again because the latch was not 100% because of the restriction. But we did what we had to do. We did the stretching exercises. We did the tummy time and the stretching and the everything which we could do. Not because it was a he problem. It was a me problem because I could not get the trauma out of my head and I was too scared that he is not going to latch ever again like his elder brother. We continued. He is not 21 months old. He's breastfeeding happily with what we are. We made through it with everything. It could have been different if only I had a different experience the first time. I still do not know whether my husband had or not a tongue tie. Right. So, do you want do you do you want to talk about sort of the mechanics of maybe his sleep or his speech or his digestion? Were there those types of things that presented? The second, he, the, with first. your oldest, your your first. The only thing which was there was he did not want to latch. He was very upset at latching. But there was, I think there was the, there was a contribution of low supply, which we were able to overcome with Dombrenon. But the latching was definitely something which was not happening. And there was something, I don't know. I, to be honest, everything is so blurred because so many things were going on. But latch, mechanism was not happening. It was not efficient. He would not latch at the bare breast. Nipple shield, he was okay, but not at the bare breast. He would, he would not. And the vomiting and everything, I think, was very much flow-related. Sleep, he was... Did he sleep with his mouth open or was his mouth closed at rest? At that time, I did not know I was supposed to look at it. Right. I did not because I was already preoccupied with so many things that uh, I did not consider that to be a factor that I would, you know, notice to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have been, but I don't remember. So with your second, you chose not to have the phrenectomy done. Yes, because I was scared that he would stop latching altogether just like the elder one. Right. And so you breastfed him for how long? He's still breastfeeding. He's 21 months old. 
Yeah, he's still breastfeeding. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah, and you, but you've weaned yourself up on Peridone. Yes, I have weaned myself well because he's on solid. So this is just like comfort feeds whenever he wants. Yes, our latches are me what? Optimum. He still gives me lipstick-shaped nipples. But okay. this is not his main source of nutrition. Only comfort feed. I adjust him because he's big enough now. So he's able to adjust himself. And because it's only for a few minutes. So it's right. not being uh, nutritionally required. This is something that we do for bonding. And yeah. so we are going through it. But this is how it is. Yes, I know. And, you know, I think there's so many experiences and opinions about the phrenectomy. And like you said, the reason you got into this space was to provide all that information. And then have a family make that choice, you know, support what's best for them. Yes. yes. You know, I, I don't know if I would have had to release Finn. I chose to have a phrenectomy for him. He's my second. But for me, where my values and my husband's lie is, you know, we didn't want the boys to be potentially running into sleep apnea, you know, or decay of the teeth and speech problems, you know. And help with their digestion and, you know, you know, so with those midline parts, yes. you know, there's still babies that they yeah. get older, but they struggle with foods. They struggle with solids. They struggle with drinking from a straw. They struggle with speech. They struggle with balance. They struggle with a lot of teeth decay because of the mouth breathing, you know. So there's just that more the mobility piece for me to give them the most optimal way to function while also, you know, still being at the breast. But there's a lot of moving parts to these tongue ties. Exactly. So that's what the thing is. It is not being yet well studied to the to the point that it has a proper classification that everyone can refer to, that it has to be. It varies from person to person Percent. depending on their practice and their expertise right. that they do. And it's it's up to your luck that you will refer to the person who has a who is level-headed with their experience and able to guide you in the right direction from right from giving you both the options. Yeah. And guiding you that yes, you are at the stage that this is what is required, or you are at the stage where you can make the call. There are different stages and the person's experience guides you that what uh -huh. stage you are. So it is a mean you have been referred to. Their, their experience, it really matters. And being a parent, now I'm on the, and now I have gained more knowledge through deep diving into this field as a professional. But at that time, I was just a mother who was already struggling yeah. through her own journey, through her own emotions, taking care of a preemie baby. There was so many things and had only one intention to provide breast milk to her baby at the breast as she best knows her entire life. And the person she was referred to was not. No, not the right fit. No, no. I am 
just grateful for you to be working in a public space where everyone can access you. And you but that's where you're just such a gift to the world and to new mothers. Because to work with certain individuals, like you said, I, you know, at one point I know we had we we invested with Jennifer Tao and I think it ended up being like $700 US, you know, to work with her. And, you know, she taught me a lot and I learned a lot. And I sometimes chalk it up to being a part of my dual tool, toolbox, right? Of sort of how I'm able to then offer to other clients, not as a write-off, but that's, it's big. That's a big investment when you've just had a baby. So for you to be doing your own education and then to be giving this to families from your heart in the place of a public space where people can access you through the Ontario Breastfeeding Clinic and even in working in the pediatric clinic, I'm just really grateful to you. I would not have, but I really, I was presented with an opportunity and I think everyone has their own defense mechanism. I used sublimation where I took all the negative emotion and experience to convert into a positive outcome only because in my case I had that opportunity and I really wanted to give back mm-hmm. every mother with the option and help. and all the way I actually came to realize when Amanda was helping me that a support to the mom she helped me with the latching but she helped me as a mother more yes that really uplifts you you know that oxytocin rush that you get the motivation that you get the support that you get that is what I want to give back to the community all the mothers that you do have the option you're free to choose it's your journey but I'm there I'm there to support you Whatever you need, whatever you choose, I have the knowledge. I have the OBGYN experience from India. I have worked in the pediatric clinic in Canada. Now I'm becoming a lactation consultant. I have breastfeeding support knowledge. I will give you everything I have to you to support you. And you can make the decision, but I'm there for you. Yeah. That is what we are doing. That is what you are supporting virtually, in person. However, we are supporting you. And that is, I think that support, being a new mom, first time mom or second time mom, being every pregnancy brings out a brand new emotion. And it It adds on to previous one. Yeah, it births a new mother, but you also bring experiences from your other babies as well, right? I mean, Yeah. yeah, Ashley Pickett, who's my lactation consultant that I use through the Ontario Breastfeeding Clinic, Some of my lactation appointments are her helping me navigate Noble and being a big brother and tools she used for her children. And, you know, like she's a constant support. You know, I've worked with her every month with Finn because I had a lot of trauma around Noble and not knowing how far we'd get, you know, and kind of talking out the phrenectomy with her. And, you know, he's not really feeding at the breast well at three or four months. What's going on in her giving me the, the load on on developmentally what's happening with him. And so. It's just this encyclopedia of knowledgeable, wise women helping you through all phases of parenting, tandem nursing, co-sleeping, 
you know, all the things, right? Which has been so cr- crucial for me. And that's where Ashley has just, again, like you, like Amanda for you, like such a pivotal piece of your I- journey and, you know, your support. And I'm curious, what did Amanda think with your second baby when the pediatrician offered to clip him? The first thing I came back was I booked an appointment with her. He was like five or seven days old. This was the third day appointment. And I was like, this is what has happened. And in our prenatal classes, and because I had already been working with her and she's also my mentor, she knows my story. So she knows my fear. Yeah. As a human being, as a mother, she knows my fear with phrenotomy that I hold. I told her as a professional, I know the right thing, but as a mother, I'm very scared to do this. She was like, I support you. I guide through, I guide you through latching. That is what I'm here for. I'll support you with latching. I give you every tool in my box to get that deep asymmetrical latch. We have that. We accept it. Now we'll move on from there. Yeah. We did the stretch. So that is where the stretching, stretching, everything came into the play. We did everything possible because we knew that we are not. You used the, the motor mechanics of the baby without having yes. to create the trauma, which yes. the phrenectomy does create to the mouth. You know, there's no way around that. And if you force through it on a baby without preparing oh for yeah. the baby, becomes rogue. They give up. They say no. Did you, have you ever noticed anything in your first son with any sort of those lasting impacts of that phrenectomy that's been held in the body, would you say, or no? To be very honest, I suppressed every negative emotion associated with that trauma only because it was so heavy that anything that reminded me that it existed, it happened in my presence, but I was there and I let it happen only brought about sadness. So anything and everything that I noticed was belonging to that experience. I had suppressed so as to one. This was my, this is not a very mature defense mechanism. No. It, what I had been for. But it's honest, you know? You know, I mean, it's complex to be human. And, you know, the way that you're giving back now and just your love for him in general of just wanting him at your breast and to feed, that's felt through our babies too, you know? So that 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 pure love is still felt through them. I was ready to pump, but when... To be honest, when I came to my second born and we were able to breastfeed him and I did not have to pump, I realized I could not have pumped at all because I was repulsed by pumping. I'm pumping for 14 months. Absolutely. I did not pump once. Even when Good I for you. had to, I was like, no, I'm Just not going to. Absolutely. Good for you. You know what? That's a really empowering thing to do to set that boundary and kudos to you for pumping for 14 months exclusively pumping for your baby going back to your career educating yourself you know, becoming a, a board certified lactation consultant just the strength of your motherhood is beautiful anuba 
Thank you, Victoria. I'm just, my exam is in September. Please wish me. (laughs) Oh, I am. Oh my goodness. You've already done the tough stuff. You've come to Canada and try and prove to them that you can work in the medical field through all their hoops and loops. You are, you are most definitely going to ace this this board certification. I think so because uh, I just want to have that opportunity to help from what I have learned and I've learned from the best. Ashley is one of them. Yeah. And she has like a ocean full of every drop that I swim in with her knowledge is precious. I learned so much. I learned from all my mentors and I just want to give it back to help because I came to realize that at every point where I need families, be it pediatric clinic, be it family clinic, be it through the lactation platform, every mother needs some sort of support, some needs advanced, some needs very basic, but that support that is needed and that we are able to provide, that I'm able to provide is, you know, we don't realize that saying hello, a hug, how um, are you? Or did you take care of yourself? Did you eat? Did you sleep? Take care of yourself. And that itself is so motivating to moms that they will have a good day, a good day of faith. Mm-hmm. I can tell you this because the day my mom came to me after my first one was born was the first time on day 17 that he lashed and had his first full feet at the breast before he started water pressure because I was happy. Oh, I love that story. I had oxytocin. I had lacked out and he latched for the first time in 17 days. Mm. So you know that gold nugget and it's so beautiful that you're going to pass that on and you do. I is there anything else on your heart or that in your story you feel like didn't get touched on that you wanted to point, you wanted to touch on today? I just want every family who, ha- who is a, has anything to do with lactation or would be in future to know that they have the right to make their own choice. Yeah. Informed consent is important. Mm. Getting the help at the right time is very essential. If you feel that you need help, reach out. Do not delay because getting the right help at the right time can make a whole lot of difference. It's like day and night. And babies are smart. Babies are very, very Mm. smart. They will say no. So, and at the end of the day, be it anything, enjoy your bond with your baby. I did that mistake. Don't do my, don't repeat what I did. Enjoy your baby. Enjoy you as a mother, as your baby, irrespective of your feeding mechanism. Enjoy your bond. That is a very important part, but you are, that's your baby. You are the parent. Enjoy your bond. Let that oxytocin flow. Let that bond be. It's respecter. 
I think it's interesting how we can get so fixated on breastfeeding and wanting to breastfeed. Yeah. It just becomes the one way. And it is a one way when the mechanics are there. Sometimes, I mean, depending on situations, but it can create a whole host of other emotional components in your motherhood journey, like you said, and not focusing on that bond with your baby. It's because when you're triple feeding and when you're cleaning up vomit and when you're trying to figure out what's happening with your baby, it's stressful. I am doing a current research with one component of my researchers, how mothers relate the success of breastfeeding journey to their success of motherhood. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting one. That will, well, I'm going to post in the show notes all of Anuba's credentials as well as some very insightful, well, you've done a whole host of research. So links to, well, do you want to tell about the, the two? Yeah. The one that I have uh, recently published was in the Pediatric and Child Health Journal by Canadian Pediatric Society, which is very Canadian journal that all the pediatricians read. It was about the how parents are being supported through the OHIP covered service through virtual lactation and the benefits and um, how this is still a success and how we are support we are providing the same service. This is not a part of the research, but I'm just adding to it that this is OHIP covered service and how irrespective of the socioeconomic strata, how irrespective of their geographical location, every parent who is lactating should have the accessibility to have the support of a professional lactation consultant to guide them through their journey because breastfeeding never gets old. Something they are teething, they are refusing, yeah. integrating solids, mm -hmm. turning in, turning one. There's something always happening. If you need support, we are there. Yeah. And the virtual system supports you in a very efficient manner. At least we can have a start and go from there. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, yes, I'm going to post all of Anuba's intellectual and wise knowledge in the show notes. So have a look at all of that. And of course, I'm going to post Anuba's link to her uh, bio as well with the Ontario Breastfeeding Clinic so that if you ever wanted to reach out to her, you know where you can find her. She is just... You're just a beautiful light, you know, for families to access. And I'm so grateful you came on today and you went back to that place of your son, your first son's story and shared that with us. I think it's really important for families to know the difference between different accessibility and care and consent. And I, I hope oh, that this... Yeah, I hope this series has sort of broadened that a bit for people to sort of lean into more. Yes. Thank you, Victoria. This was not easy, but I faced my fears with this podcast and the motivation behind it was your story, which I heard 
that you had also gone through so much. We, our paths overlap so much with our firstborn story. And that really encouraged me to overcome the fear and the guilt of bad parenting thing that I was holding on for almost five years now and bring upon the fact that it, there is hope, there is light and there are right tools. Yeah. And the reason to share is it happened to me, but it should not repeat. Absolutely. And so you're, those families will come to you. You're almost going to be their, you know, their white light, their shield from. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You will be. Absolutely. There are still going to be those clinics out there that are participating in that way. But I think with the more genuine intent of yourself, the Ontario Breastfeeding Clinic and others, mothers and just practitioners in general that start to congregate and build that community and that knowledge, I think those other places are going to maybe fall a little bit by the wayside. So I really hope that every parent, every family who needs the support gets the most genuine yeah. way of help yeah. that they deserve. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's a big topic. So, so big. I don't think the big. I know it is so big and it's it's so individualized, you know, it's so individualized. And so, yeah, just another resource and another story to put out here. It's medicine. And so you take it how you like and you lean into it how best suits you. And I'm just so grateful you came on today. Thank you, Anuba, for everything. So much, Victoria, for having me and giving me this opportunity. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, everybody who's tuned into this series. I still have a few more guests that I want to feature in this series because it's a big topic. There's a lot of emotion and there's a lot that encompasses tongue ties and feeding our infants and our babies and mothering. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Anuva. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you, everybody. 